Romans chapter 1, verse number 18 this evening. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I'll be honest, if we stop there, that'd be an odd place to have a thanksgiving message preached out of. For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness from heaven uh, and ungodliness of, of men. But the Bible goes on to say, Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word this evening. And as we try to delve into what it might be saying for us, specifically on this topic of thankfulness. Lord, help us to understand what this particular passage means to us, who it was written to, who it was written for, and what we can learn about it this evening. I pray that you'd help me, Lord, give me the wisdom and the strength and the ability to preach this message exactly as you see fit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have a lot of things to be thankful for in the country that we live, in the state that we live, in the place that we live. We do. I just drove through Kansas. I promise you, you are blessed to be in Texas. But we do. We have so much to be thankful for, but we are not nearly as thankful as I believe we should be. I think oftentimes when we say thankfulness or we ask questions like, what are you thankful for? Our mind doesn't even go to really things that we should be thankful for. It goes to things that really don't matter. We're very confused on what thankfulness is and what what gratitude is. And and so I want to preach this message series to you. And we start here in Romans chapter 1, for sure, a very unique passage of Scripture to begin with. I don't think we have thankfulness right in America, and I can just illustrate it to you as easily as this. We have a season that we call Thanksgiving. It comes around once every year. You partake in it. Uh, We have a big church cookout. Uh, We do all the trimmings, turkey, and all that stuff, and it's a great time. And we call that season Thanksgiving, and our our kids make little crafts at schools that sometimes have their hand as a a turkey, you know, or maybe they'll draw their hand and list five things they're thankful for. And, and, and we, we try to teach our kids that this is a season of Thanksgiving. And even in class, maybe a teacher will ask our children, what are you thankful for? And we try to really pound that message of be thankful for what you have. And I think that's good. And the very next season that we celebrate is one where we just continually give gifts after gifts after gift, almost ri- ridiculous opposition to the holiday we just celebrated. You see, Thanksgiving, we say, be thankful for what you have. Christmas, we say, here's some more. I don't think we have it down exactly how it is. Can you be thankful for what you have right now? 
regardless of what comes tomorrow, are you thankful for what you have now? Romans chapter 1 is a unique chapter. Verse number 7 of, the, or, of this chapter tells us that it's written to the Roman Christians. It says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So they're saved individuals living in Rome. Rome, obviously, when we hear that name, does not uh, bring to our mind thoughts of tremendous Christianity. It does not bring to our mind a, a real moral people. In fact, I think it would do quite the opposite. It's written to these people, but Romans 1 is in the context speaking about lost people. That's what we read. For the wrath of God is revealed uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, it says in verse number 20 for, or verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's a very difficult truth to grasp, but the Word of God says that which needs to be known of God for salvation is in the heart of every single man. I've heard very difficult questions asked like this. Well, what happens to the, the person in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa that never hears a clear presentation of the gospel? Well, I look at Romans chapter 1, and I'm no expert, but the Bible says they are without excuse, because that which may be known of God is clearly seen through creation, and the law of God's been written on their heart. And the Bible says that God has revealed Himself to every single man. And this is written to Christians, but this particular chapter contains a lot about the lost. And helping to understand how the lost may not view things the way we view things. And they might not respond to things that we as saved people respond to them. And so we got to understand that before we get going in the message. We've also got to understand that the Roman Empire was about as wicked of an empire as there has ever been. Religiously, they were in ruin. You see, they were polytheistic, which means they had many gods in which they worshipped. And even at one point... Their Caesars became deistic in nature. They began to worship their Caesars for the men that they were and worship them as gods. They were morally corrupt. As when we do think of Rome, probably many of us remember the fact that they would have this giant Colosseum, which was essentially a theater that set 50,000 people based upon social standing. You see, the richer, the more elite would sit towards the bottom, and those that weren't as wealthy and didn't have as much uh, fame, they would sit towards the top. But everybody fought to get into this Colosseum so that they could watch slaves, prisoners, and criminals kill each other. And they enjoyed it. They loved it. It was, it was their, uh, uh, the thing they looked forward to was their entertainment. It was barbaric. And this is what they were. They loved this. Not only did they love things like, th like that that were quite barbaric, but you can see how morally corrupt they were as uh, one of their uh, Caesars, uh, Nero, he actually uh, castrated a young boy and married him because he resembled his wife. And uh, you can see how morally corrupt they were. Not only were they morally corrupt in that, but they were politically crooked. Uh, you got to think back then, I mean, it was, how can I get to the next step on the political ladder? And one guy would dethrone or beseech another guy. And it was just, it was so corrupt and there was so much ruin. 
It actually, if you compare it to America, it's not actually all that different. Corrupt government, immoral people, and, and, and wicked entertainment. It sounds very similar. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't believe you. Okay, let me just challenge you. Go to Netflix and find the most recent uh, award-winning drama and read about it. Now, I don't dare you to watch it. Just read the reviews on it. I can't tell you, man, my family and I were so excited about one new uh, series coming out, and it's about war and all that stuff, and, and we were excited about that. We turned it on, we couldn't get three minutes into it because it was just cuss word after cuss word after cuss word. Wicked entertainment. And that's where we're at. Rome was not a place of religion. Rome was a place of a lot of wicked, wicked people. And God says they knew everything they needed to know about Him and they chose not to be thankful. Even amidst all of these wicked, atrocious sins, Paul does not write about their uh, uh, pluralistic society. He doesn't really really write about their polytheistic uh, uh, worship. He doesn't write about the fact that they were just wicked beyond belief. He says one of their greatest sins was this. Ingratitude. Neither were they thankful. They knew God, but they were not thankful for God. I recognize tonight that this passage of Scripture does not necessarily refer to Christians, but we know God, do we not? We know Him better than anybody, or we should. We, we know the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that God, who at diverse times and sundry manners has spoken to us in times past by prophets, but in latter days has spoken to us by His precious Son, Jesus. And we know Jesus, and because we know Jesus, we know the Father. We know God better than any generation before. We know Him. But are we thankful for Him? If we're not thankful for Him, let me tell you you this. We're no better than the Romans. Because that, when they knew God, neither were they thankful. A Christian resembles a lost person more when they are ingrateful for God than at any other time. What's the difference between not knowing God and knowing Him but not appreciating Him? We, we got to make sure that we are not children of God who behave more like children of the devil. And so this evening I want to take a look at what a Christian's life that doesn't, or is not thankful for and doesn't appreciate God, I want to take a look at what that might look like tonight. We compare and contrast the loss to the, to the life of a Christian that might not be thankful for God. Number one. A Christian who is not thankful for God will have a life lived without daily realization of grace. Verse number 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. The wrath of God has been revealed to us. And it's been revealed that right is wrong and wrong, wrong is never... what Right is right and wrong is wrong. There's no confusion on that. You see... While our society is trying to make people think that morality is just subjective, I'm telling you right now, go to the nursery. You'll find out really quickly, morality is not subjective. 
When a kid is stealing another kid's toy, they know it's wrong, they do it anyway. You don't need government to dictate morality. God's written that on our hearts. Did you know that there was no rule against killing Abel, but Cain knew it was wrong? He knew he was in hot water when, he, when God said, Hey, Cain, where's your brother? He knew there was a problem. Morality is not subjective. Morality is God's law written on our heart. When I begin to violate your rights, I'm taking advantage of you and I'm committing a wrong act. When I steal from you, I'm violating your rights. And it's really not that complicated. And the wrath of God is revealed against that. It makes God unhappy. And uh, the only way that any unsaved person can be okay with themselves and live in sin is by saying this. Yeah, there's no God. No, of course there's no God. You know why? Because if there's a God, they have to answer for the things that they enjoy. The pleasures that they take part of, they have to answer to an almighty creator. And the fact that there is a law written on our hearts, the fact that even the aborigines know the same laws that we know, the fact that law transcends culture, if there is law, there must be a lawgiver. And that lawgiver is not Donald Trump. It's not found in the judicial branch, the executive branch, or the legislative branch of government. It is found in God Almighty. For the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know truth. They know what is right. And yet they choose what is wrong. The Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is the condemnation, that light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than they loved light, because their deeds were evil continually. They wanted the deeds more than they wanted to answer to the divine. And that's where we find grace come into perspective. You see, grace is all around you today. You woke up this morning and it was grace. You say, but I woke up with back pain. Thank God you can feel it. (laughs) See, we, we take for granted so much, but grace is God's divine favor. The mercy of God is as distinguished from His judgment. Also, any benefit His mercy imparts. Now, I want you to know this. Grace is completely undeserved. We experience grace every day, but if grace is undeserved, it does not depend upon you being saved. See, even the unsaved experience the grace of God every single day. They experience the grace of God in salvation. And you say, Brother Andrew, but you just said they were unsaved. Did you know that every unsaved person has the opportunity to be saved? Did you know that the Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2 verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. God wants every man to be saved. And even in salvation, those who reject God and are not thankful for God, God is is revealing Himself to them. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if if it be of works, then it is no more grace. In other words, you can be saved, you can be living right, and you can be experiencing the grace of God. But the most wicked sinner that you know 
also experience the grace of God on a daily basis. It's undeserved. Just because you button up your shirt and you tie your tie or you put on your culottes, which I hope not, but whatever, if that's your thing. But no matter what, if grace were at any level deserved, it would no longer be grace because then it would be works. And just because we're saved and just because we come to church on Sunday night, I mean, y'all are like the best of the best because y'all are here on Sunday night. I mean, then the Wednesday night, they're like the elite of the elite. But, I mean, y'all are close. But you see, we experience God's grace not based upon our merit because if it was of works at all, then it would all be of works. But if it's of grace, then it's all of grace. That's what Romans chapter 11 tells us. And and people uh, uh, experience the grace of God in salvation. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. They experience it in salvation. We experience it in sanctification. The Bible says this, These men held the truth, but they rejected it because they wanted to be unrighteous. It says they held the truth in unrighteousness. Do you know the only way a Christian can live the life that God wants him to live is not in willpower, is not in commitment, is not in decisions, is not in discipline. The only way you can be what God wants you to be is through his grace enabling you to be all that you need to be for him. It is not of us. You see, every day we got to wake up and we got to take off the old man, his old desires. We got, Paul said, I die daily. He had to fight the things that he wanted and put on, because of God's grace, the new man. It's a desire given by God to serve God and to live for Him. But truth can be hard to hear. You ever notice that? Truth can be hard to deliver sometimes. Have you ever been sitting across from somebody and like their nose began to run? And, and you don't want to be rude. You don't want to seem like, you know, you don't want to like bring everybody's attention to that. But their nose is running and they, they don't even realize it. Or maybe you've seen someone with a booger and it's just like hanging there. And this is probably the worst because the other two are natural at least, when somebody has a piece of food in their teeth. Have you ever... How many of you are the person that just unashamedly, hey, you need to fix this? How many, how many of you are that? A few of you. Okay? A few of you. I'll be honest with you, I'm not in that crowd. It is very uncomfortable for me to tell someone that they have something wrong with them. Hey, just so you know, it looks like the buffalo wings you ate at lunch are still buffaloing. You know, and, and, and I don't want to be that person, but truth can be hard to deliver. Truth can be hard to receive. James put it like this. Any person that hears truth and does not respond accordingly, the Bible says, For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, like a man looking into a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, The imperfections that he saw in the mirror, he did not fix them. He just went about his day and everybody had to live with the booger. Everybody had to live with the broccoli in his teeth. Everybody had to see those things because he looked into the mirror that morning, but he did not fix the problems. And the Bible says that when we look into the perfect law of liberty and we choose not to do what it says, we are like that man. 
We're forgetful hearers. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul tells us, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Paul says, Everything that I am and everything that I've done has been because of the grace of God. Are you thankful for the grace of God that you experience every single day? Let me, it's not because you deserve it. Amen. Are you thankful for God's grace? They experience it in salvation. We experience it in sanctification. We all experience it in creation. In fact, that's what the Bible says in verse number 20. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You know what? That, if, you, if you write in your Bible, you may consider underlining clearly seen. That way the next time some humanist comes to you and says, no, 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 this had to happen over a bajillion, gajillion years ago. You just say, look, my Bible's pretty clear about this. It says the invisible things of him are clearly seen in creation. It, it, it's essentially calling anybody that denies that this world was created by God a fool. Because if you do not see that only God's hand could make our heart, that only God's hand could make our eyes, which has two, over 200 functions every single second, if you can behold the Grand Canyon and think that that little bit of water down there at the bottom did that, if you're that person, the Bible says the invisible things are clearly seen. You're just ignoring evidence. Amen. It's in seen in creation. And in fact, not only is it seen in creation, but it's experienced in creation. The Bible says it like this, God maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Did you know that the sun does not only rise for Christians? I don't know if Annie was a Christian or not, but she really said it best when the sun will come out tomorrow. And it really isn't dependent upon your theological stance. And we all need the sun, right? The sun helps us. Uh, the, for some of us, the sun helps us look pretty. You know, you have like those dark skin tones. For some of us, it makes us look more like a red lobster, which is in my case. But we all need the sun. It helps us grow plants. We all need the sun. Rain, some people make that to be a bad thing, but we all need rain. Talk to me next August in Texas and ask if rain might not be the grace of God. Sometimes our ground gets so holy that we just step off into it and we get lost. So, so God's grace is experienced in creation. The Bible says in Psalm 145, uh, The Lord is good to all. Next time somebody questions the goodness of the Lord, whether saved or unsaved, you just tell them right quick, the Bible says the Lord is good unto all. He's not just good to His children, He's good to everyone. And His tender mercies are over all His works. And so we experience God's grace every day in salvation and sanctification and creation. And then, fourthly, I just kind of added this one in there, but it's so true in supplication. Now, the lost world doesn't have this, but the fact that we can go to God with whatever problem we have is unbelievable to me. Amen. The Bible says that we can come into the throne of grace anytime we want. It says that we might be able to find help in our time of need. God does not sit on a throne of righteousness. God does not sit on a throne of holiness. He does not sit on a throne of majesty or glory. God sits on a throne by His own terminology of grace for you. We come to that God every time we have a problem. 
Anytime our kids back talk us, all we have to do is say, God, I pray that you straighten them out. Anytime something's bigger than, anytime something's bigger than our issues or uh, bigger than our experience or our knowledge or our uh, 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 focus can handle, we can go to God and we can say, God, I need you. We experience God's grace every single day. But the Christian that is unthankful for God will fail to take advantage of that grace. They'll handle their own problems. They'll face their tomorrows without His help. Not not because He doesn't want to help them, just because they choose to reject His help. And surely one of the ways we become unthankful for God is if we do not choose to recognize His grace actively, daily, in our own lives. Not only will we have a life lived without a daily realization of grace, but number two, we'll have a life lived without a daily recognition of God. A daily recognition of God, verse 21 says this, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They knew God because God had written all this on their hearts. That which may be known of God was clearly seen. They understood it. There was no doubt in their minds. And yet when they knew Him, they glorified Him not as He was. Nebuchadnezzar kind of reminds me of this situation. If you, if you want, you can take your Bible to Daniel chapter 4. We're actually going to spend a little time there. But Daniel chapter 4, a dream comes to Nebuchadnezzar. And you'll recall that Daniel oftentimes interpreted his dreams. His second dream is a dream about a great tree. And this tree reached as high to the heavens, could be clearly seen from everywhere around. The fruit of this tree was great. The leaves of this tree were great. All of the animals of the field, they all gathered under this tree and they received shade and uh, they ate of the fruit of the tree. And yet one day, a, a, a watcher and a holy one come down in the dream and they come down and they hew down the tree. He doesn't know what to think of the dream, but Daniel interprets the dream. And so in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible says, All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken... The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee eat of the grass of oxen. Seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and nails like birds' claws." And at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven. And mine understanding returned unto me. It, really, if you read it, he never really had much understanding. But he says, I, I, it's kind of like the, the prodigal son. And when he came to himself, Nebuchadnezzar's understanding returned unto him. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up my, mine eyes unto heaven. And my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High. 
And I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me. And the glory of my kingdom, mine honor, and my brightness returned unto me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Verse number 37. This is why we read all those scriptures to get here. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, after all the kingdoms been restored unto him, after he's gone through this great learning lesson of eating grass like oxen, uh, I actually saw the other day where a man was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize for living with sheep and eating with sheep for months. And he was awarded a a Nobel Peace Prize for that. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar did that a long time before this guy did. (laughs) After all this, God put him through this. All the powers returned unto him. And the Bible says in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. What Nebuchadnezzar failed to understand was everything that he had was given to him by God. And the Bible's not too confusing on that. For instance, you remember when Pilate was judging Jesus, whether or not he'd put him on the cross there. And Pilate says, you know, you really need to talk to me because I have power to let you go. And Jesus says, you'd have no power except it was given to you from heaven. The truth is, it is so easy for us to wake up, step out of our house in the morning and go about our day and never recognize the fact that all that we have and all that we are is because of God. We face our days without Him so often, but we wouldn't have what we have unless He had directly given it to us from heaven. The Bible says, Every good and perfect gift cometh from above, cometh from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God gives gifts. Job said it like this, Naked I came into the world, naked I shall go out. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gives and and God takes away. Jesus says it like this, Who who by taking thought can add one uh, cubit to his measure? And the Bible says, who maketh thee to differ from another? Some of you are incredibly smart. Some of you are incredibly savvy businessmen. Some of you speak English better than me. Some of you uh, are gifted. Some of you have a personality that people are drawn to. Some of you have beauty. Some of you uh, 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 are just good at things. Maybe you're uh, gifted in, in crafts and ideas. Maybe you're creative. All of these things, and and oftentimes we see, oh, God gives gifts. And we always think financial. That should tell us how carnal we are. But God gives you your personality. And the things that you excel at were directly given to you by God. This morning, Miss Amanda stole my song and sang it in front of you and did a way better job than I've ever done on it before. I'm sitting there thinking, man, God made her to be able to sing real good. She sings pretty. 
She, she may have worked on that, and I've actually been to the church that, she's, that she kind of grew up in. And I'll tell you what, everybody up there sings well. I don't know what it is, but everybody in North Carolina sings well. But, but she may have worked on that gift, but God gave her that talent. And that talent was, was from God. And for Miss Amanda, you know, you look at these country singers, and, and they grow up in church singing. Carrie Underwood grew up in church singing. Well, now she's in Nashville, never sings in church. I'm not up here to criticize Carrie Underwood because I'm sure she's a very godly lady. But my point is this. God gives gifts not so that we can enjoy them, but for His glory. And so often, before we ever step out of our house in the mornings, before we ever get out of bed, it would just be good for us spiritually to acknowledge that there is a God in heaven that created us for a divine purpose, and that was to glorify Him. But oftentimes we don't even acknowledge God. It's almost like we forget He's even there. But that's easy to do, isn't it? We take for granted things that are always there. This last week I spent a few days in the mountains of Wyoming. I can promise you there has never been a day in my recent memory that I have woke up in the morning and said, God, I thank you for supplying Texas with ample oxygen. But in those mountains, you become keenly aware that there is not oxygen the same way there is in Texas. And me and Brother Charlie would be walking up them mountains, and man, our lungs would get to burning, and we'd be saying, oh, Charlie, oh, Charlie, it's hard. And uh, our, guy, uh, our guide's name was Marcus. We just started calling him Billy. It was short for Billy Goat. Man, he'd climb these mountains and he'd say, All right, guys, we need to get up to this top of this mountain. And Charlie would get up halfway. Oh, Charlie. I just don't. This tree looks like a good one to sit under. Oh, Charlie. Well, yeah, sure, we're out of shape. Yeah, we're kind of fat and we're kind of old. But this is the point there is not as much oxygen there as there is here. And so now that I'm here in Texas, I'm very thankful for the lack of windage leaving my lungs. I'm thankful that there's oxygen. But we really only become thankful for things when we don't have them anymore. And this isn't necessarily what the sermon is about, but but husbands, tell your wives you're thankful for them. Wives, find the one redeeming quality of your husband and tell him you're thankful for that. I'm just saying we, we are so we are so ingrateful or ungrateful for all that God has done for us and the amount of days that we step out of our house and never acknowledge God as God that when they knew God they glorified him not as God. God is creator. God ought to be our sustainer. He is whether we acknowledge it or not. So A Christian will resemble a lost soul when we live a life lived without daily realization of grace. When we uh, have a life lived without a daily recognition of God. And thirdly, and finally, we'll be ungrateful like the lost when we have a life lived without a daily reflection of His glory. Verse 23, the Bible says, verse 22, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And, and that would be a good verse. Next time you see someone on TV claiming to be an expert on creation, 
or evolution, they always seem so smart because they use words with more than two syllables. And you sit there and you say, you, can, you have so many degrees. You're so much smarter than me. How can you be wrong and I be right? There's no way. Surely you know something. The Bible says it right here. Professing themselves to be wise. I want to know what Fox News' definition of an expert is. Have you ever seen that? An expert on this matter. What makes them an expert? Half the time they sound ignorant when they open their mouth. So professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. But this is the important verse. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They had taken what God had showed them. See, God had showed them that they were to worship. God had revealed in their heart that there was a creator. God had given them this, this revelation, this truth, that God was worthy of worship. But they took that, and instead of giving worship and glory to the one that deserved it, they created themselves gods. And we can't get too creative. Everything we create, we borrow, right? I'll give you a challenge. Try to think of an original animal and see if you don't borrow parts from other animals. We're not very creative. Well, neither is our religions. What was happening is they were looking at Egyptian religion and they were looking at Grecian religion and they were seeing that all of these people were taking goats and they were taking calves and they were taking dogs and they were taking cats and they were taking serpents and they were worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. They knew God, and yet they changed His glory as to corruptible things. They couldn't wrap their mind around an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, so they, they began to worship what they could understand. If we're not careful, Christian, what we'll do is we'll let this concept of the old man upstairs seep into our theology. We hear people say that, and, and even when we picture God, we picture Him with like a beard, almost like Santa Claus. What a foolish thought that is. But what we do is we change God's glory into the corruptible that we understand, and we, we can't begin to understand the majesty. We can't be understand the magnitude of His glory, so we change it into what we can understand. These people worshipped what was conveniently placed in front of them. The Hebrew word for worship means to depress, to prostrate, to pay homage to royalty of God or to bow ourselves down. Our English definition of worship is to ascribe worth to something. In other words, God is God and, and by worshiping Him we ascribe that He is worthy of our worship and devotion. We place ourselves in a humble position and lift Him up in an exalted position. And that's the right picture. Man down, God up. Not man up, God down. And that's what a lot of religions are doing. But we fall on our face before God. That's our worship and that's what ought to be our worship. But here's the problem. A lot of people have turned worship into their vacation instead of their dwelling. What I mean by that is we treat God like the trip we take instead of the place we live. You know how it is. Every summer we plan a family vacation. 
And for weeks and weeks and weeks, we plan and we prepare and we, and, and we kind of get ready for vacation. Everybody looks forward to vacation and, and the kids talk about vacation. We're going to Nana's house or we're going to Disney World or Brother Sean, we get paid way too much and we're in Hawaii. Uh, uh, but, but that's what we do and we look... F- Man, Brother Sean hadn't shut up about Hawaii for the past six weeks, okay? So we look forward to these vacations. And that's what we do in our worship. We look forward to Sunday morning. We look forward to the revival. We look forward to hearing our favorite singing group. And we treat our worship as vacation. I don't know about you, but I spend a few days on vacation. I'm ready to get home. Even on something that I greatly enjoy. I have been looking forward to that Wyoming elk hunt for I can't tell you how long. I've been looking forward to that. And day three of that bad boy, I was telling Charlie, Charlie, we got to kill. I want to go home. Well, it sounded more like this. Charlie! Charlie! We look forward to the vacation moments, but, but as the great theologian said, there's no place like home, right? What we do is we get... We change the... We, we, we misunderstand worship. And worship is a dwelling place of a Christian, not a visiting place of a Christian. Worship isn't coming to church and getting on some spiritual mountain. Worship is truly living a life of devotion to God. It's not a teary-eyed prayer. It's a submitted life. That's worship. The Bible says, they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. And when you understand this type of worship, what you'll understand is, worship not only occurs in the spirit, the inner man, the, the, the moments where you really get alone with God and you, you acknowledge God for who He is. That's the spirit style of worship. But in truth... You live outside the prayer closet the life you experience inside the closet. Inside the closet is prayer, is spirit worship. Outside the closet is truth worship. Amen. We worship God in spirit and in truth. A Christian that's not thankful for God will choose to reject who he really is. Just read Proverbs, I don't know, say one verse and you'll understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everything that you desire to be and experience, and I don't want to sound too Joel Olsteiny up here tonight, but truly fulfillment and happiness is only experienced in the life that recognizes that God is God. And in the middle of our busy lives, we become like the lost and we fail to even recognize God for who He is. We fail to recognize Him for His glory and for His grace and we fail to recognize Him for His very person. What a shame when Christians act like the lost. That when they knew God, they worshipped Him not as God, neither were they thankful. 